after this, he, he being Jesus, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. You guys have a seat. Thanks, Josh. Hello again, Flourishing Grace. If, uh, if you missed the, uh, my introduction a little bit uh, earlier, my name is Benger. I serve on staff here at Flourishing Grace as the executive pastor. And I'm glad to see all of you today. As uh, Pastor Josh mentioned, um, we are finishing up our series called Pursuing Jesus. And, and we've said this every week, but this is really important that, that we understand um, as we pursue Jesus. The reason why we can pursue Jesus at all is because he pursued us First. This is not something where it's like, okay, we're going to get after these things, and I'm going to try really hard, and I'm going to pursue these things and try to pursue Jesus, and then maybe, just maybe, if I do well enough or if I do enough, he can turn, and then, then maybe he'll give me some attention. No, 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 no. Jesus pursued you first, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today and how, but the reason why we can pursue Jesus at all is because Jesus pursued us first. Um, if you're new to Flourishing Grace, this has been kind of a great introduction to Flourishing Grace, kind of Flourishing Grace 101. Um, what, what we are been, have been walking through is as we've been pursuing Jesus, our mission as a church is to lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. We believe that there are five pursuits, five things, five gifts that God has given us as, um, as his people that help us pursue Jesus. And so we've walked through these one by one, and today, uh, let's just look at what they were. So we started with the pursuit of the word. Um, this, this is an important, important thing in our lives, not just because of the content, but because it is God's living word. And as we, as we take it in, it changes us. Uh, the pursuit of formation. Um, what is God doing in us? How is he transforming us? He is molding us. He is shaping us. And, and, and really what that is, is he is transforming us to be more like Jesus. How does the Holy Spirit work in us as that happens? And then uh, Josh Gardner, we got a lot of Joshes around here if you're new. Josh Gardner, our minister to students, talked about the pursuit of the kingdom. This relationship is not just between us and God. God is doing something in this world. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and, and how this spreads and how it impacts all areas of our lives and our communities. And then last week we talked about the pursuit of dependency, who we are before God and, and how that is lived out in a life of prayer um, because he is God and we are not. What does it mean that we are dependent on him for everything and, and what are the outworkings of that in our life? And today we get to the pursuit of the table. And as we begin this, I, I kind of want to lay some groundwork for where we are as a culture. Um, in 2000, Robert Putnam released a book called Bowling Alone. It was kind of a, a landmark work um, in, in the United States, not just because of what it said and, and what it, how it talked about it, our connectedness as a culture, but because it was like the first popular work that, that really laid out for, for more people this almost like loneliness uh, epidemic that we have or this, this disconnected 
uh, culture that we have been growing in the United States. And the reason why I bring this up, it is, it is like 24 years old now, but the reason why I bring this up is in 2000, like think about the year 2000. Um, Social media wasn't a thing yet. We didn't have devices in our hands. And on top of that, um, when you wanted to connect to the internet, for the most part, you were still dialing up to AOL, right? This was, this was not, man, we're all on our screens all the time. This is the year 2000. Think back to then. A um, couple of things that Robert Putnam uh, laid out in that book. First of all, in the previous 30 years, so from the late 60s to the late 90s, um, informal social interactions had actually decreased in our culture by a third. So, so we only spent about two-thirds as much time in informal social interactions as we had 30 years prior. This is just like going by somebody's house and hanging out or stopping at the grocery store and talking. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in the 80s, and when I would go to the grocery store with my mom and, uh, and she would stop and see a friend, like my body language would change because I knew if she saw a friend, it was like, we're going to be here forever, right? That just doesn't happen because you order, you order your groceries online and then you go pick it up. You don't even talk to the person putting it in your trunk, Right? Another thing that Robert Putnam uh, uh, laid out was not only have informal social interactions decreased, but entertaining friends, meaning having them over to your house in some formal way. Like today, you're going to be entertaining friends, some of you. Some of you are going to somebody else's house to be entertained. That decreased over the previous 20 years, so from the late 70s to the late 90s, by 45%. It was happening barely half as much as it had before. These are just like, come over to my house and hang out, have some dinner, let's play some games. Right? And this was in the year 2000. What has happened since then? In 2017, a Harvard Business Review article said this, quote, loneliness is a growing health epidemic. Despite being more technologically connected than ever, rates of loneliness have more than doubled since the 1980s. Just how we feel lonely and how we experience the world. Todd Hall, in his uh, new book, The Connected Life, it's a great book on how we connect spiritually with one another and how it impacts our relationship with God. He says this, in addition to general social isolation, over half of U.S. adults in a study reports feeling like no one knows them well. I mean, that's, that's loneliness. And you, you might be saying, yeah, that's, that's me. You might have some informal social interaction. You might know some people at work. You might know some people online and you interact with them there, but to actually be known, man, that is a deep human need to actually be known. And half of you as adults feel like, nobody, I'm not talking about like, not enough. Nobody knows them, that they are alone. Now, surely, surely this is just our culture, right? I mean, we gather here every week. Um, as followers of Jesus, if you're here, I know not everybody in here is a follower of Jesus. Uh, we're glad you're here if you're not. But, but if you call yourself a Christian, like, surely we're different, right? I mean, the New Testament has four dozen, over four dozen, one another commands that we are supposed to do in our relationships with one another. Love one another, right? Submit to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Surely we're different, right? Well, a recent Barna study, Barna is uh, an organization that kind of uh, does research among especially the American church. A recent Barna study showed that of the, um, of the American Christians who identify spiritual growth as a priority in their lives. So these aren't, these aren't people who say, you know, they're, they're taking a survey. Are you a Christian? Yeah, haven't been in years. But no, these are people who say, you know, spiritual growth, what we talked about in formation, becoming more like Jesus, that's important to me. Of those people, almost 40% said, but I'd rather do it by myself. I don't need anybody else. 
I don't need, I need a, a small group of people. I don't need friends to encourage me. I, I, can, I can do it almost 40%. I can do it on my own. Friends, the Bible, the New Testament, the early church knows nothing. That is foreign to any idea of spiritual growth that we would do it on our own. We were not meant to be alone. We were not meant to follow Jesus alone. And this is why we are talking about today the pursuit of the table. Now, a year ago, when we kind of laid out all of these pursuits, we spent weeks on each one. And so if you go back to flourishinggrace.org slash listen or find it on our website, you, can, you will walk through the whole series, how we unpack all of this. But today, I want to do something really, really simple. I want to talk about why we pursue the table. And the way that I want to do this is, is this. I want to take this current cultural moment that we're in, where over half of U.S. adults, half the people in this room, where so many of us report that, that we are lonely or, or we feel like nobody knows us. And those of us in this room, and you might be nodding your head, you might believe, yeah, I can do it on my own. That many of us, almost half of us would say, well, I, I want to become more like Jesus, but I want to do it by myself. I want to take that current cultural moment that we find ourselves in and I want to lay on top of it how Jesus did life how Jesus did ministry and how, uh, how he, he just ministered to people and welcomed people in his life. What did that look like for him and what does that mean for us? Really, really simple. That's what we're going to do today. And Josh already read the text for us today. We're going to be in Luke 5, starting in verse 27. Uh, please open that back up if you want to or, or um, put it on your app or whatever you might have. And, and what we're going to do is we're just going to see how, how did the table play a part in Jesus' life and ministry? So in verse 27, it says, after this, he went out. So Jesus went out. After this, after what? Jesus had kind of come on the scene. Remember in, uh, a couple of months ago at Christmas, we celebrated the birth of Jesus. Well, he didn't, he didn't begin his public ministry until roughly 30 years, perhaps, after he was born. So around then, Jesus has come on the scene for his public ministry. He's been healing people. People know, man, this guy is different. He's been delivering people from demons, incredible stuff, and he has welcomed people as his followers, but not just like the, the normal, like, religious, you know, people who, who memorize the scripture and know all the stuff. No, he chose some fishermen to be his followers, and, and other people that, that just they, they were Jewish school dropouts, honestly. Like These are people who would, who would not normally be called to follow a rabbi. And Jesus says, you, you are mine. You're going to follow me. So after all of this has begun happening, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Now really quick, Levi is the same as Matthew Levi. Sometimes in the Gospels he's known as Matthew, sometimes as Levi. I'll try to refer to him as Matthew Levi for simplicity's sake. Saw him sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me, leaving everything. Matthew rose and followed him. Now, this is incredible for a couple of reasons. First of all, Matthew was not liked. Matthew Levi was not liked as a tax collector. And we're coming up on tax season, and it wasn't just because nobody likes to write that check at tax time, right? It wasn't just be like, man, I can't believe, you know, tax man, the whole thing. No, that's not why people didn't like him. You see, Rome at this time, in first century Palestine, Rome had, uh, was, was oppressing and, and had control over the land of Judea, the rest of the Roman Empire. And the people of Israel hated this because they were God's people. It's not just that they were supposed to be independent, it's that God was supposed to be their king. They didn't have an emperor. No, God was supposed to be their king. And they were being oppressed, and the, there were things they couldn't do uh, religiously and spiritually and things that they could do. 
And so Rome was the enemy. And the way that Rome collected taxes, right, they didn't just send their soldiers in and get money from everybody. They sold the right to collect taxes in a certain area to a local person in that area who then had the authority from the Roman government to collect taxes. And so Matthew Levi, as somebody who had that authority, um, not only was he collecting taxes, but he was working for the enemy. He was a traitor. He was working for the Roman government. On top of that, the way that he made his money, the way the tax collectors made their money, they were supposed to collect a certain amount for, for the Roman government. Anything they collected above that, they got to pocket. That's why this was a lucrative trade. There was a level of kind of extortion going on here. So Matthew, this, this Matthew Levi, this Jewish man, was working for the Roman government and extorting from his own people. He was an outcast. And so for Jesus to do this would have been shocking. Like the, the, the fishermen following would have been like, well, I know that we're not much of anything, but at least we're not Matthew Levi. Like there would have been some eyebrows raised, not just from the crowd, but from his own disciples. Jesus, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And then after that, verse 29, Levi made for him, for Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. There's that word, table. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I don't know about you, this is one of my favorite passages. I, I love the call of Matthew Levi and how Jesus chose him. If, if, you, if you're new to church or you're kicking the tires, you don't know, this could be your new favorite passage. I love this. It might be familiar to many of you. And of course, the main point that Jesus is, is making here uh, as he's gathering around this table and, and the Pharisees are, are talking to his disciples and like, why, why are you guys doing this? And Jesus pipes in and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why. Of course, the main point is that he says, listen, religious Pharisees and scribes, I didn't come to bolster or to puff you up in your self-righteousness where you believe that because of what you do for God, he has to accept you. No, no, no. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Those who know that they have need. Those who know that they fall short. Those who know that they are broken. I've, I've come to call them. I can't work with you. Like, you think you don't need anything from God. You think you have everything because you have what you deserve. But I've come to call those who know that they are broken, like Matthew Levi and his friends. Now, here's the thing. Notice where all of this happens, and this is where we're going today. Where all of this happens is the table. And here's why this is so significant, right? Jesus didn't have to say a word about how he accepted Matthew Levi, right? He didn't have to spell out, okay, now that you're following me, I just want you to know, like, like you need grace, you need all these things, but, but because of, of who I am, not because of who you are, I accept. No, he didn't have to explain any of it. All he had to do was gather around a table with Matthew Levi, because in that culture, that expressed acceptance. And that was why the Pharisees and the religious leaders flipped their lid, because you don't accept a guy like that. You don't accept his friends, right? He, he, had his own, he had his own category. It wasn't just, who are these sinners around here? No, it was tax collectors and sinners. How would you like to be such a sinner that you have your own category apart from all the other sinners, right? This is where Matthew Levi stood. This is where his friends stood. And yet Jesus gathers around the table because it communicates acceptance. 
He did this later on in uh, Luke ch- uh, chapter 19 um, when he was walking through Jericho, another tax collector, Zacchaeus. Right? Zacchaeus uh, apparently was a short guy because he heard Jesus was coming to town and, and he really wanted to see him, so he climbs a tree because he couldn't see him because of the crowds. And Jesus walks right past his tree, right up there, stops and looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come on down, I'm coming to your house today. And, and Zacchaeus takes Jesus to his house and, and then they sit there and, and presumably they're gathering around the table. And this is what um, was said about this. And when they saw it, and this isn't just the religious leaders, this is the crowd. When they saw it, they were shocked. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Listen, there wasn't a problem when he walked in Jericho. There wasn't a problem when he stopped at the tree that Zacchaeus was in. There wasn't a problem when he talked to him and told him to come down. It wasn't a problem until he gathered around the table in Zacchaeus' home. How dare you do that? How dare you accept that man? I can't believe that you would gather around the table with him. And this is how Jesus did ministry. This is how Jesus did life. He says of himself in Matthew 11, um, and and of course this is a different context, but, but what he says of himself, he says the son of man, a title for himself from the Old Testament, the son of man came eating and drinking. He talks about himself. Man, I came eating and drinking. We are spending time around the table. Uh, We're going to have some laughs. We're going to talk about life, but we are going to gather around the table. This is how he did life. And of course, a few moments ago, we celebrated communion. The Last Supper was done around a table. The meal signified not just Israel's rescue by God out of slavery, but Jesus said, no, that points back towards me and my rescue of you. You guys have been celebrating this Passover this whole time. It's me that it's been pointing to. I will rescue you. And then in Revelation, Jesus talks about the wedding feast during his ministry, but but you fast forward to Revelation and how John gets the the curtain pulled back and he sees the wedding supper of the Lamb. We will one day celebrate around the table with Jesus. Jesus did ministry around the table and he invites us to do life around the table as as, as well. But the important question is why? Well, the place we need to start is this. The table represents Jesus' acceptance of us. And here's what we mean by this, right? We talk about the communion. All, all are welcome at Jesus' table. But this came with a price. The reason why Jesus said, I mean, I, I can't do anything with you religious Pharisees because you think you have everything you need. You don't. It's those who, who know that they're in need who know that I have what to offer them. Jesus welcomes us and accepts us to the table, not because we are anything, but because he is everything and what he has done for us. We read a few moments ago in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see, do you see the exchange there? Do you see the price paid? We are welcome at the table. We are accepted by Jesus because of what he has done for us. This isn't the kind of thing where he puts his arm around us and says, let's just forget about all that stuff and and have a few drinks. No, 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 no. Jesus knew then, and and we know this now, that our acceptance around Jesus' table comes at a cost. But we don't have to pay that cost. Jesus already paid that cost for us. 
The table represents acceptance. This was why it was scandalous that he sat around the table with Matthew Levi and his buddies and all the other sinners and all the other tax collectors that were working underneath Matthew. Like, why would you do this? Why would you accept these people? And he says the same thing to us. I accept you. Not because of anything you have done, but because of the price I paid on your behalf. Friends, we are welcome around Jesus' table because of what he has done for us. And here's the thing. Many people in this room, many people in this room, you've spent so much time, so much of your life trying to buy your seat at the table. Maybe if, maybe if I do enough, maybe if I pray enough, maybe if I serve enough, maybe, maybe if I clean myself up enough and stay away from these sins, maybe I can do these things, but, but maybe if I do enough, I can earn a seat at Jesus' table. And that is backwards. Jesus has already paid the price for your seat at the table. He has already done it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. This is what Christ has done for you and what he has done for me. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the invitation. This is why we say everybody's welcome at the table when we practice communion. The invitation is just simply to sit down and say, Jesus, I bring nothing to this table but my need and my brokenness and my sin. Jesus says, welcome, friend, because of what I have done for you. The table represents Jesus' acceptance of us. And so when we gather around the table, we live out what Jesus has already done in our lives. And when we leave a seat at the table for those who are in need of Jesus' love and forgiveness, we are practicing what Jesus did in his life on earth and his ministry here on earth. This is one of the reasons why we gather around the table. Certainly, it represents hospitality and generosity. Certainly, it, it, it represents a lot of things. But ultimately, the table represents acceptance. The table represents acceptance. Friends, you and I were made to do life around the table. We were made to do life in community. Jesus, when he came to earth, he did life relationally. He did ministry relationally. He sat around the table with those who needed him. And he calls us to do the same. He called us to do this, calls us to do the same. Certainly, there is an element of that, that, that we get out of this, right? Because we need connection, we need relationship. We talked about this a couple of minutes ago. We, we need that too. We are not immune here in the church as followers of Jesus. But it is not just primarily for our benefit, but for the benefit who need to know who Jesus is. And so the table, it's, it's, it's more complicated than just, okay, let's meet together for table groups Let's do this and do that. No, when we gather around the table, we are living out what Jesus has done for us. This is why we pursue the table. Just like there's a place at the table for us, there's a place at the table for others. This is why we pursue the table. Now, a few things. First of all, how does this work in our lives? How do we pursue the table together? I mean, if it's really true that, man, 40% of us say we would rather do, Jesus, rather do spiritual growth and follow Jesus alone, something is broken. I realize this is not everybody in this room. I realize some of you, like, this is an amazing day because you, you don't care about the Super Bowl. You just care about people coming over to your house, and you're excited for that. Some of you do this well. Good for you, okay? Good for you. I'm glad. Keep that up. 
But for most of us, how do we pursue the table? How do we pursue the table? Well, the first thing is this, okay? Rest in margin. And, and some of you might say, okay, that was a little bit of a right-hand turn. I didn't, I didn't see that. Here's why this is first. If your life is such a pace that you don't have time to gather around the table in your own home, and if you have a family that you don't have time to gather around the table as a family, what makes you think that you've got time to add something in? I don't want to like add a burden to your life. Okay, you have to do this. Let's add this to the schedule. You're already working this much. Your kids already do this. Let me just give you this burden. No, 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 no. You have to make room for this. Friends, the pace of our life is quick. The pace of our life is fast. The table is slow. And, and all of us feel this. Yesterday, um, one of my daughters had rehearsal at Center Point Theater for a show that's opening next month. And so she had that till like 7, and then she had 15 minutes to get to a friend's house for something else. And so you know what we did for dinner? We drove her through Chick-fil-A. Right, anybody else relate to this? Everybody's going to so many places. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for being honest. I appreciate that. I think this is most of us. Friends, the pace of our life is frantic, but the pace of the table is slow. And you will need to create space. Say no to some things. Here's the thing. If you've got kids, especially teenagers, let me speak to you. You're going to have to tell your kids no in order to create some space to make this happen. We cannot go at the pace we are and expect to live life around the table. I don't know about you. But there are so many people in my life, man, I, I want to get together. I want to, I want to hang out with this person. And we look at our calendar and we're like, well, how's seven weeks from now? That's not, that's not sustainable. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Rest in margin. Second thing is this. Open your home. Open your home. This is the scary one, friends. But this is the reason why I tell you to open your home, okay? Because we stink at this. If you wait for somebody else to do this, you're going to be waiting forever, Open your home. And the reason why this is scary is for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, many times when, when we think about having people over, we're opening up our home or opening up our table, we're worried what people will think of us. That is a very vulnerable thing to welcome people into your home. Like, honestly, can we just admit that? Especially in our day and age where we primarily relate through a screen. Welcome people into my home. Now, if you're worried about that, let me just set your mind and eat. Like, we love having people over to our house. And yesterday, um, I was walking upstairs, and we have this little play area with, like, all the toys. And I was going downstairs, but I heard some music. And I did a quick glance. I didn't see anything, but I heard the music. And, and then I took another step and did a, another take. And I was like, oh, there's my son Aiden with a screen. Okay, it was screen time. Don't judge. With a screen. I couldn't see him because of all the dress-up clothes and toys that were around him in the play. Like, that was a legitimate thing in my house. No judgment, okay? This is hard. We, we, we feel ill-equipped to open the home. But listen, we have to take the first step. And what's more than that? If it's true that our culture is starved for this kind of connection, what better ministry can we take part in than opening our home uh, to our neighbors or just inviting somebody over for the Super Bowl or just inviting somebody over for, for some ice cream or inviting somebody over for some games? Like, it doesn't have to be this huge thing where you're serving a seven-course dinner. Just open your home, gather people around your table. Friends, there are many people in our culture who don't yet know Jesus. Friends, they are starved for connection. They are starved for somebody welcoming them around their table and to say, I accept you and you matter to me. And let me be really, really frank. If you grew up in Utah and you decide at some point in time, man, I, I just don't believe what my parents believe. 
Friends, to do that is to lose some of your place at the table. And that is a difficult thing. What better ministry than to come around somebody like that and fill in the gaps and say, no, you got a place at my table for Thanksgiving. you got a place at my table for the Super Bowl. you got a place at my table just on a random Thursday night. This is, this is how we engage in ministry. If you're looking for something to do, friends, there's no better place to start than just open your homes to your neighbors and get to know them. And then the last thing, pursue the table together. This is where we get back to the one another's. So far we've talked about how do we do this for other people. How do we pursue the table together? Right? Well, we don't have all the answers, but here at Flourishing Grace, we have something called table groups. And the reason we have something called table groups is because, again, we really stink at gathering naturally around the table. We just don't do this well. And so what we've done is we've built groups that meet at least twice a month, sometimes more depending on the schedule, but they meet at least twice a month for three really simple things. This isn't like rocket science. This isn't huge. This isn't you're going to show up and, show, and tell your whole life story. This is for a meal, for intentional conversation, and for prayer and care. Like, like, it's not even like a full Bible study. Many people ask about that. Like This isn't just a huge like three-hour thing. This is just gathering around the table. And so there's, there's a couple of next steps for this. Um, first of all, during this sermon, um, we've actually changed the QR code in the seat back in front of you or on your connection card, and it will automatically go to our table groups page. And there's three things that you can do. You can also go to flourishinggrace.org slash table if you're watching online or you just want to type that out. And there's three things you can do on that page. First of all, you can check out some of our open groups. We've got a few open groups, a handful of open groups that are just like, hey, sign up online and show up at the house next week. Like some of you, you are into that. You're an extrovert. That doesn't, that doesn't terrify you at all. It terrifies me, and I know these people, but it doesn't terrify you at all. Great, do that. You might be listening to this, and God might be prompting you to open up your own home. And so if you want to host a table group, that's the second thing. If you want to host a table group, there'll be a place online there for you to fill out a form and get started doing that. We've got training. We've got things to come alongside you, um, and, and, and we would love to help you begin a table group in your home. Friends, we've got so many new people here at Flourishing Grace, and, and our table group hosts are amazing, but we need more. And so maybe that's you. And then maybe, uh, you know, you, you, you hear these things, and you're like, Benjamin, I'm just... I'm just not ready for this, or I've got a lot of questions. There's a place on that there to just fill out a form and ask some questions, and then I'll be back in touch with you this week. But this is how we pursue the table. This isn't the be-all, end-all. It's not like this is the only way we can pursue the table, but it's our starting point as a church. If you are here and you feel disconnected, this is your starting point, table groups. And let me just be, like, really honest with you. Can we be honest? Okay, good. If you've been attending Flourishing Grace for a long time, I'm not talking about you're new today or you're new in the last couple of months. You're just kicking the tires, checking out some other churches. I'm talking about like you would say, yeah, Flourishing Grace is my church. This is for sure my church. But the only way that you engage with us is on Sunday mornings in rows facing forward. Friends, let me just be clear. You attend Flourishing Grace and we are glad that you're here, but you're not a part of Flourishing Grace. And maybe you've thought, man, I just don't feel connected you know, at, the, at my church. This is, this is your next step. This is your next step. And yes, it takes some courage. And yes, it can be difficult. But it is worth pursuing the table together. If you have any questions about any of those things, I'm going to be in the lobby at the check-in desk um, after this gathering, and you can come and ask me questions face-to-face. But my hope for us, my prayer for us, is that we would be a people that gathers around the table. And not just because it's a good thing to do and we connect us to each other, but because Jesus was someone who pursued the table, did life around the table, and showed people that they were accepted 
through the table. This is my hope and my prayer for us as a church, that this would be a place where there's nobody who feels alone. Yes, we go through difficult, dark times, but at least you've got somebody to hold on to through those things that you know who you can call. There should be nobody in this building that feels alone. We want to be a people who pursue the table, slows down, and loves others through that. In a moment, um, we're going to sing our last song, and I'm going to invite our prayer ministers up. We've got a prayer team. And um, if, I recognize that as we talk about community, as we talk about the table, as we talk about interacting with one another, I recognize that for some of us it's scary. I also recognize that some of you have tried this, and you've been in a setting, maybe a religious setting like this, and it has not gone well, and you have felt betrayed, and you have felt hurt. If any of this has brought any of that up, um, friends, our, our team in front here would love to pray with you and talk with you about that. Or maybe you just have something going on in your life and, and, and you need to just give that burden to somebody else and have them pray for you. Friends, I, I encourage you, don't wait until somebody else gets up. If you have something you need prayer for, please come up during this song and take advantage of that. I'm going to pray we're going to have that prayer ministry and then sing our last song. And again, if you want to talk with me, I'll meet you out in the lobby afterwards. Let's pray. God, what a, what a miracle that you would accept us at your table. Not because we have done anything, but because Jesus has done everything we need. And so, Father, would we be a people with the courage, the people that has the generosity, the love, and the mercy to take what has been given to us and extend that to other people around the table? Father, we are a mess. When we come to the table with others, we bring our own baggage and we bring our own sin and we bring our own um, wrong presuppositions about how all of this should work. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would cover that. That in flourishing grace, that we don't do community perfectly, that people would be able to be here and say, but they love each other. God, that can only happen through your spirit. It is you does the work. So would you do the work in us? Would you do the work in our church? And would this be a place where people, because they are welcomed at the table, recognize that Jesus has saved the place for them already by dying for them on the cross and rising again from the dead. God, we, we love you. That is all that we can put our hope in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.